Testing, testing, mine works. Testing. Testing, okay, yeah. Is it on? Okay. Hi, Rick.
Good evening. Good evening. Thanks for being here tonight. We were hurting last Wednesday, uh, but thank everybody who still came out or watched on the live stream. If you didn't come for uh, dinner, think about it next week. Uh, next week for lunch is chicken cherry wraps with soup and dessert. And dinner is chili, hot dogs, and uh, mac and cheese and dessert. And we welcome the Confirmands in our worship service. We started this a number of years ago, moving Confirmation to Wednesday, so we really like having them. And thank Jim Rose for uh, sharing his gift of voice tonight and singing for us. We rise for opening make our beginning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. I'd like to invite the children up. Any children? Two. Well, good evening. Thank you for coming out tonight. Nice seeing you. Did you guys have dinner? Anybody have dinner? No? Okay. Well, let me ask you a question. When your parents tell you something, do you believe them? You're supposed to say yes to that. <laughs> of course you believe them. Or if your grandparents tell you something, do you believe them? Yeah? Yeah? They're older, but that you believe them, right? 
Good. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about people who saw Jesus' resurrection when he came back to life and who they told. And that's why we believe it, because we have eyewitness accounts. And that's what is important. So I want to thank you for coming up, because I didn't have this prepared. I winged it. And enjoy the service. So. <laughs> He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Everyone deserted him. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. In that hour, said to the crowd, Come up with swords and clubs. They must not leave any of it till morning or break any of its bones. When they celebrate the Passover, they must follow all the regulations. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. We continue with our sermon hymn.
Amen. Well, I have good news for you. I actually did prepare this, so I'm not winging it for you. So, as we continue our series regarding the proof of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we're going to take a look at the early church fathers and what they said. Now, all of these people predate the Council of Nicaea, which was 325, and that is where we got the Nicene Creed. You see, there are some skeptics that believe Emperor Constantine at that council just invented the deity of Christ. In addition, that's where they think the Bible was assembled. If you've ever watched that very entertaining movie, The Da Vinci Code, they talk about that. And although it was entertaining, all of those assertions are incorrect. In reality, the Council of Nicaea simply affirmed something that everybody already knew and understood. They didn't just invent stuff. And we have quotes from these early church fathers to prove that. Now, it's important to understand at the time that nobody believed in resurrection outside of Judaism. They didn't even, could not comprehend what that was. So Christians were very heavily criticized for this belief in the resurrection. So who are our apostolic fathers? What does that mean? These are not the fathers of the apostles. It doesn't mean that. These are men who were in direct contact with the original 12 apostles or one generation later. But very, very early authors were talking about the first and early second century. So from roughly 40 AD, just a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection, to the very early 100s. Now, it is said that these writings of the Apostolic Fathers, quote, taken as a whole, are more valuable historically than any other Christian literature outside the New Testament. And they serve as a bridge from the New Testament to the later second century Christianity that started to get more mature. So, the first one, Clement of Rome. Now, he is often considered the first apostolic father. He knew Peter and Paul, and he became Bishop of Rome in about 88. Uh, these numbers I'm going to give you, as I researched them, nobody's numbers ever agreed, but they're all very close. So uh, don't hold me to, oh, no, it was 89. It said that he was consecrated by Peter. Now, he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and that's the same Corinth that Paul had written his letter to in 1 Corinthians, and it was 68 chapters long. He taught the resurrection of Christ by comparing the resurrection to that of the mythical phoenix, which died every 500 years and was risen again. He obviously taught this because that's what Peter and Paul told him happened. He said, day and night declare to us a resurrection. He concludes, having therefore received their orders and being fully assured of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and established in the word of God with full assurance of the Holy Ghost, they went forth proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand. So clearly he believed in the resurrection. Polycarp, from 69 to 155. He was the bishop at a church in Smyrna, which is now modern-day Turkey. Now, we're told by Arrhenius and Tertullian, who we'll talk about later, he was a disciple of John. 
one of the original 12 apostles and Jesus, and spoke to many eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Polycarp would have first-hand accounts of the resurrection, and to quote him, he said, Now may God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal high priest himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, build you up in faith and truth, and to us with you and all those under heaven who will yet believe in our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, and in his Father who raised him from the dead. So it seems clear Polycarp believes Jesus was raised from the dead. Well, gee, why would he believe that? Because that's what John told him happened. Polycarp wrote a letter to the Philippians, and it's his major writing. And in it, he does two important things. He refutes the Gnostics' argument that, quote, God's incarnation in and the death and resurrection of Christ were all imaginary phenomena of pure moral or mythological significance. So he counters that argument. And the second thing he did was to reclaim Paul by repeatedly quoting Paul. You see, the Gnostics had sort of taken Paul's words and used them to justify their heretical views. So this letter that Polycarp wrote reversed that. In addition, he quoted various New Testament books, including Matthew and Luke and Acts. And what that establishes, the New Testament was already around long before the fourth century, when some skeptics say that's when it came around. He was martyred in about 155. Another of our early church fathers is Ignatius, 50 to 117. He was the bishop in Antioch and also a disciple of John. He and Polycarp probably knew each other. They might have even been friends. Ignatius has written, had written a series of letters while he was on his way to Rome to be martyred. And they all testify that Jesus is son of God and the clearest letter, and I'm only gonna quote a part of it because it was very, very long, says, quote, who put on a bodily form in the virgin, who was hanged upon the tree, who was buried in the earth, who rose from the place of the dead and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. So there you go, those three men attest to the resurrection. Now these are the three that had direct contact with the apostles, Peter, Paul, and John and also talk to eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Moving on to the next generation, we have over a dozen, but I'm not gonna talk about all of them, but you can see there's a lineage that's not broken. So we have Arrhenius of Lyon, which is, we're talking Lyon, France. He lived from roughly 130 to 202, but he was from Smyrna where Polycarp was, and guess what? He studied under Polycarp. So there's that direct line to the apostles. He was raised Christian and spent much of his time refuting the arguments and teaching of Gnostics groups, which again, denied the resurrection. And it was his view that since he was taught by Polycarp, who was taught by the apostles, that his understanding was the correct one. And that does seem to make sense. He said, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who became incarnate for our salvation and in the Holy Spirit, who proclaimed through the prophet the dispensations of God and the advents and the birth from a virgin and the passion and the resurrection from the dead and the ascension into heaven in the flesh of the beloved Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
he understood the purpose and the idea of the re resurrection. He went on to say, I am even now, excuse me, I am even until now a servant, but when I suffer, I shall be the freed man of Jesus and shall rise again, emancipated in him. He also affirms the four gospels, again, long before the council of Nicaea. Another church father, Tertullian, you heard me mention him just earlier. He lived from around 155 to 220, and he was from Carthage. Now, Carthage is in what is modern-day Tunisia, in Africa. He was a prolific Christian writer and considered a strong scholar. Carthage at the time was probably the second largest city in the Roman Empire outside of Rome itself, and the Christian population was extremely large. Tertullian actually tells the Roman governor, quote, yesterday we were few in number, now have filled every place among you. We know Tertullian was not born a Christian originally, but after a trip to Rome, he learned about Christianity, became very interested, and he was converted, we're thinking around 197. He wrote on numerous topics, baptism, the Eucharist, marriage, and he had a book called The Resurrection Carnus on the Resurrection of the Flesh. And that book is still available on Amazon for $4.95 in paperback. He said, quote, you will also allow that it was in the flesh that Christ was raised from the dead. For the very same body that fell in death and which lay in the sepulcher did rise again. Now, Tertullian became a little disillusioned with Christianity. He didn't think they were following the teachings of Jesus. They had become hypocritical and a little amoral. And because of that, he joined a different group. Well, early Christian authors kind of shunned Tertullian for quite a while because of that, what they saw as a betrayal. But by the mid-1800s, it was reestablished that he was a great Christian scholar. So just a few more. Justin Martyr born 110 to 165, roughly. Sadly, most of his works are lost, but we do know a few things. We know he started out, wanted to be a philosopher, studied that, but then when he was about 18, he was traveling and he met an old man who we think was a Syrian Christian. The old man started teaching him about the prophets and the story of Jesus, and Justin got so Moved by it, he renounced his faith and rededicated his life to the divine. He studied and traveled and spread the word of God. And regarding the resurrection, this is what he said. And when he, Jesus, had thus shown them that there is truly a resurrection of the flesh, wishing to show them that this also, that is not impossible for flesh to ascend into heaven. So clearly he believes in the resurrection as well. He was martyred in Rome, we're not exactly sure when. Now last Wednesday I heard I was gonna talk about origin, so we're gonna talk about origin. 185 to 254, also a very prolific writer. He wrote over 2,000 treatises in multiple branches of theology. Now, doing some research, origin was described this way, as the greatest genius the early church ever produced. So that's quite a compliment. However, he was also very quirky and a bit controversial. There is a lot written about him that modern scholars question. There was some animosity back at his time. Now, he wrote two books 
on the resurrection. Unfortunately, we only have fragments remaining. But near the end of his life, he said, quote, let no one think that I am of one of those who deny the church's doctrine of the resurrection. I preserve both the doctrine of the church and the greatness of God's promise. So it sounds clear he understands Jesus was truly resurrected in the flesh, and he did not buy into that Gnostic view spiritually either. So as I said, you can see these early fathers were all very consistent with what they said about the resurrection and that, it, in fact, it was a real event. And if you notice, these men were all over the Mediterranean area. You had someone in France, you had someone in Rome, you had someone in Africa, over in Antioch, in Turkey. They were spread all over the Mediterranean, and yet their stories all lined up perfectly. I think that's a testament to that. And this was all long before the Nicene Council in 325. In addition, the concepts of the church started taking shape. You could see them. Uh, an example of being Clement's letter to the Corinthians. He started to establish the church hierarchy of how it was going to work. And in Polycarp's early letter and using of the New Testament, you can also trace uh, these early fathers, like there was Hippotus of Rome, who lived around 170, Clement of Alexandria, who lived around 150 to 215, they carry on these teachings of the bodily resurrection. You can see that continuous lineage and belief in the res resurrection. Now, yes, there were heretics and other groups. We mentioned them, the Gnostics that denied the resurrection. But they did not have that same pedigree or lineage from the apostles all the way back to Jesus himself. These guys did. You know, today when we go out into the world, we all understand that. But out in the world, there's people who watch the Da Vinci Code and don't believe, or there's skeptics who, don't, who question the resurrection. We now have some evidence that we can at least share with them that, well, actually, we do have eyewitness accounts that go back to that time, and maybe convince them that uh, we're not, we're loving Christians and we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll receive the offering now.
rise we give thee but thine own whatever the gift may be all that we have is thine alone a trust O Lord from thee dear gracious father we give thanks for your son coming into this world 
for the scripture written down that we may believe. For even those who were considered enemies of the cross and yet recorded many of the details that happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And we rejoice at the apostolic fathers who continued the chain to one more generation. Remind us, O oh Lord, we are that link in the chain here at Redeemer to the next generation. May we be faithful in teaching and proclaiming and passing down the truth of Christ, the Messiah who lived, who died, and rose again. We ask this all in his name and join in the prayer he has given us. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant to you his peace. Mm -hmm.